Welcome to episode 113, Unstoppable REI Wealth. Today I'm interviewing Jeff Neidiger from Kendall Partners. He's the CEO and innovator of this company since 2007. Over the life of his company, he's done over a thousand transactions. And right now, Jeff and his partner are on a scaling mode. They're spending over $150,000 a month in marketing and climbing. He has 18 full-time team members. And uh, he goes really deep into his hiring process, the tool that he utilizes that we also utilize called PI, and how it helps integrate his company and make sure that the people have the right values. He goes into how he's gotten over 300 or close to 300 testimonials by using his review process, which you definitely want to listen to, and some of the sales people that he leverages to train his staff. If you guys want to scale your business, you definitely want to listen to this interview with Jeff Knight. Hope you guys enjoy Welcome to Unstoppable Real Estate Investing Wealth. My name is Billy Alvaro, a.k.a. The Unstoppable VA, former billion-dollar mortgage banker, gone bankrupt, turned professional real estate investor, where each week you'll learn the tools, strategies, systems, and secrets myself and other highly successful real estate investing entrepreneurs use to start, grow, and scale their businesses, creating massive profits, and how you can too. And we'll teach you how to put those profits to work so you no longer have to. Get ready to finally experience financial freedom and generational wealth. Now let's get started. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Unstoppable REI Wealth. I'm your host, Billy Alvaro. And today I'm bringing in a friend of mine, Jeff Neidiger, who I met at the Multipliers Mastermind, I think like three years ago, maybe four years yeah. ago. Yeah, it was. Yep. Yeah. And uh, then we're in in, in uh, Collective Genius together. Jeff, welcome to the show, bro. Thanks for having me on. This is cool, man. It's great to see you back in your realm and your office. And uh, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love it, man. I love it. Yeah. That's where you Thank got everything. You. I got your knickknacks, got all your stuff, all the stuff that means the most to you, right? Hung on the wall. It's a great oh, yeah. place. Yeah, no doubt. I know you got about four computer screens behind you, too, or in front of you. <laughs> I know, a day trader, or are you a rehab guy? Well, well. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> So Jeff, you're out of the out of the Illinois market. You've been doing this full time for what? Since like 2007. 2007. We're in our 17th year. Yep. Congrats. Not a lot of people can say that. Congrats, bro. Thank you. And uh, give us give the the listeners just the background of type of organization you are, what you guys do in your business. Sure. Uh, the name of the company is Kendall Partners, and and like you just mentioned, around since 2007. Uh, we have a TV brand that's jeffbeiserhouse.com. Uh, we've done lots of things, uh, most of them good and some not so good, and we can talk about that. But uh, really what the, the business is now is a, is a direct-to-seller uh, marketing business. We're, we're buying houses from folks off-market and uh, taking them to the market, uh, or a few of those are going to be sold to investors. But uh, really, we generate uh, quite a bit of leads every month and uh, talk to some folks here in the, the greater Chicago metro area. And, uh, you know, our purpose statement, we're, we're providing hope to people through a, a trusted real estate experience um, since 2007. So uh, veteran owned, got a great team. We've got 18 of us now. And so we're rehabbing, we're flipping, we're, we're wholetailing. We technically don't wholesale. We actually buy every single house. And I think we've done about 1,200 houses uh, in that uh, 17 years. Nice job, bro. So you is it because of the laws in Chicago, Illinois? About no, um, we we technically would be just fine wholesaling and, and saving probably three thousand dollars per transaction. And I, I get the math over a couple hundred deals a year. Uh, we came to the market in 2019 
and really wanted to do something different than everybody else was doing. Wholesaling out here in the in the Chicago suburbs and in Chicago really had a bad taste in its mouth. There's just a lot of shady operators, and I'm sure that's where it is in every market. Yeah, uh, we wanted to come out and really say, you know what, we're going to talk to you, come out and uh, provide you with that offer, but no fear because we're we're actually going to we have the intent and the capacity, right? So we have the cash and we actually want to buy the house. So we're actually a house buyer, uh, a home investor, uh, not just a wholesaler, which by the way, wholesaling is great. Uh, I think it's a great business model. Uh, but for that reason, we've just decided to stick to that. And I believe that we probably win quite a bit business because people know that we're not going to, we're not going to back out because we couldn't find a buyer. Right? Sure. It makes, it makes a world of difference. Definitely. Are you guys doing any type of innovations out there? We are working on that. Uh, there are quite a few people out here that said they've done it and do it. And upon further research, there isn't. Uh, and I don't mind being a trailblazer, but uh, it's a little bit more work out here. Probably more similar to New York, just Very getting it all. Yes. Yeah. Getting it all dialed in. So, no, we, we are currently not doing innovation. So I think one of the challenges you're going to face with that is it's going to go basically against what your promise is to your sellers, right? Is that you're going to come in and actually close with the innovations. You're not. I mean, the backup right. is if it falls out, you will, obviously. But a lot of the innovations we see, we're locking them up for higher amounts than what we would if we were wholesaling. Mm -hmm. So it's just it's a little tricky. Is, your, is Illinois where you're at? Is it an attorney closing state or is it title? Uh, it's title. It's technically not an attorney state, but the northern Illinois area, the Chicago metro area, is 99% attorney. So that by That's default, right. every every yes, every seller knows that it, your contract goes right to an attorney. So you might as well call it up here an attorney state. That's how it is in Jersey. South Jersey's title. North Jersey follows New York, which is which is yeah, yeah. The, the attorneys. The challenge that we have and continue to have at Novations is that piece right there. It's the attorneys getting involved. Because as soon as they get involved with the language and the contracts and we explain what we're doing, even if we've done a great job, which we do, selling the sellers up front, the yep. attorneys have just a difficult time. Because once you get them involved, you know what happens. The deal comes. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. We're working through those logistics now to be prepared for that. But I, I, I believe, and I'm, I'm sure you'd agree, sounds like you would, that it's a, it's a, it's one of those tools that I feel like with as much deal flow as we have, we should have in our, in our tool belt so to speak, mm -hmm. to pull out. So I, I'm excited to do it and we're going to do it. We're just trying to roll it out the right way and find the right agent, right? I think that's a big component, finding the right uh, agent that's going to be kind of that one that's building that bridge from us to the seller and then us to the to the end buyer. Yeah, the logistics, the agent, the attorneys, your attorney is going to have to be involved with the back-end attorney. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a lot of work, very lucrative if you get it dialed in. I can't say that we have it completely dialed in, but we just, we did one last week it actually was last month. It's closing next week. Um, Ninety thousand uh, dollar novation fee, which is fantastic. We did another little one, thirty-five thousand. Another one for forty-two thousand. But you know, our pitch is that if the seller comes, if the buyer comes in, and they need repairs and they need something done, it's on us. And we've taken money out of our pocket and done quite a bit of repairs on these properties to get them mortgage ready, so these end buyers can get in. So it's, you know, it's almost like doing a, we do a lot of joint ventures with sellers, a lot of JV deals, but we'll yeah. come in, we won't buy it from them. We'll just do a JV. So it's very mm -hmm. similar to doing a JV right. type deal, just a little bit more of a, of a spin on it. And do you feel like after those deals you mentioned were closed and done that the seller, uh, if they, if they, hopefully they did, hopefully they left you a five-star review, 
they were happy. I mean, this was you, you were full disc- disclosure of what was going on, and they were they were obviously I'm hoping they were ecstatic about what what took place. Yeah, they were good all of them across the board. We've only done a few dozen on the Novation side. We've had one that the, the buyers, their mortgage company, they needed like an extra five days. It closed, but it was five days out of our promise. So we just give them a thousand dollar refund if we don't follow through on our promise. The date we're going to close. Oh, yeah. We did that. She yep. still left us a shitty review, um, but it was just her personality style. It sucks. You can't win them all, but for no. the most part, you know, we're we're getting those five star reviews out there. That's great. What is your uh, give me give the listeners just an, an understanding because I had a lot of people on today that I've been interviewing that are on this scale mode and like me like yourself like the other individuals today you're scaling right you're in that that mode where you're just going forward so let's first talk about you said you had 19 people in your organization just break down I'm sure it's the same type of departments break down your departments for everybody and just give us an idea of how many people you have in each department specifically on your acquisitions team your lead manager team sure and I should before I do that I should say that. Uh, 2019, I read the book Traction, uh, which was pivotal for us at the time. Had I read that book three years prior to that, I don't know if it was out then, but if it was, I wouldn't have been ready for that. We just were a different organization. Uh, so uh, getting on this EOS journey, we fully implemented EOS with an, with an implementer um, through EOS, and it was instrumental in us making that next big pivot, I would say, into the, I don't know if it's the next 10 years of our business journey, but so we were a team of 15 or 16 years ago, and then whittled it down to a team of five or six um, strategically, and then uh, have come back and, and built a, a much different organization, a, a more of a sales and marketing organization now, like we talked about. Um, so yeah, we've got your normal departments between operations and finance, marketing, uh, of course, sales, um, and then uh, you know really construction department now as well with as many rehabs as we're doing. So between the 18 of us, uh, to include two owners, myself, my business partner, Kevin, there are, uh, I guess, 16 that would be non-owners and got an operations manager who's really more like the, the business unit manager, Clen, and then a sales manager, Aaron, has been with me 10 years. Uh, Michelle is our head uh, transactions coordinator, although in Illinois, uh, you know, the general term is transactions man- uh, manager, but she's really like the deal manager uh, just because there's so much stuff. It's not just processing a deal to close. There's so much handholding and stuff like that. Uh, and she's got some support uh, with that as well. And then we've got uh, a marketing and data manager who does just what it says, all the marketing and all the kind of business intelligence. And then we've got four acquisition managers in the field meeting with folks in their living room and three full-time lead managers. Everyone is on salary. Everyone's on payroll. Uh, they're all W-2. They're all part of the team. I don't think that we've got a, we've got a construction manager and we've got a field manager who's out running around doing final walks, checking our properties. You know, when you own 40, 50, 60 at a time, you've got a, a lot of real estate out there in these be needs to be looked at. Yeah. You got a good sized team and you have a real good organization over the last, how many years has it been since you implemented traction? EOS uh, yeah. was the end of 2018, early 19. So it's been a few years now, but that's a, I, I bring that back to say, because um, you know, when I share this on other podcasts and things, I think it's, I think people only see the thousand deals and I'll be the one to tell you that it hasn't all been perfect, nor has it been easy. And it's it's not the most fun times for me as the CEO and, and, and the innovator of the business to look at some of your friends and colleagues and say, hey, it's not going to work out. It's time to it's time to find something else to do. And I've had to do that. Uh, and, and we've built back. Uh, I don't know if we built back better. I don't know if I want to use that or not. But um, but we've we've been able to build it back in a, in a whole different way using EOS as the foundation. 
and now we're working with Gary and Susan Harper with Sharper, right, and, and using their their Rise platform, which is a very similar operating system. Uh, but I think regardless of the ones that you choose, you your business, in in my opinion, I think you agree would would need something, some type of structure for people to come in and, and uh, follow, and that really is that thing that determines how you meet, when you meet, where you meet, and and the strategy behind whatever the business model is. Yeah, it's it's important. We we started with them about a year ago. We see the difference in the organization. It's it's key to have that ingrained into your operating system because you know guys look at us people look when they want to flip properties it's sexy right you're flipping properties oh, yeah. when you turn into a business and you start having multiple people working for you you really got to treat it like a business you can't treat it like just some marketing company even though we're marketing to drive in the leads you have a full-blown operational staff with every single department if you're not integrating them correctly motivating them and you know putting your values through them on a daily basis holding them accountable guide them it's shit can fall apart quick like i've been yeah. through i've been through the ups and the downs and you grow you have to pull back you, you push forward what are some of the challenges that you guys are facing in your organization and, and or in your specific market uh, the ongoing challenge uh, somewhat regardless of the real estate market is just you know how do you hold how do you build and then hold on to a great team yeah. You know, going back to the multipliers days when you, when you and I met, I, I you know, I, I came to that group and and I felt one of the strengths that I could bring was that I do view things as a long-term relationship. You remember Rob, Rob Chavez, he would say that I'm the long-range thinker. Uh, it doesn't mean that I'm smarter than everybody. It doesn't mean that I'm, I'm thinking so far down the road that I can't enjoy today. I think that that could be an issue. Uh, but what I think I'm good at uh, and, and continuing to improve on is being that forward thinking person and uh but also viewing the relationships as a long-term thing and what i mean by that is when we when we build our team here at kind of partners we want people to love what they do to find that balance that they that they that they really want now i'm not, I, I hate i actually hate the work-life balance i don't think that's i think the balance is always like this right but uh you know how do you build the organization and uh in a growing organization and continue to keep people because uh, the, the turnovers is difficult. We haven't experienced much uh, in the last many years. But um, so I think that's an ongoing challenge is just my role as CEO innovator is to um, continue to build the team and, and, and kind of hold that morale high, uh, the culture keeper, so to speak. And that's something near to dear to my heart, just because I feel like we work hard. And I would say the majority of the people that work here um, have been hired via referral so they we knew somebody that knew them that's key um, and felt that they were qualified so they can't they already came into the organization and I'm, I'm I wouldn't say I'm the easiest to work for but I you know you, they already came in with a lot of the core values which are behind me uh, integrity yeah. commitment humility and growth um, we hire and fire based on that just as EOS would would say to do but that that is who we are so I think that's an ongoing thing and then you have the the business and real estate side of it right that's ever changing uh, as soon as you feel like you figure out your business and your process and your system and you you find your stride um rates go up to eight percent or you know something happens in the economy that you know is coming the government will do whatever it can to ruin and and shift things and so that's that forward thinking that i know your role and my role we have to be way out ahead kind of predicting some of that that stuff um which I don't want to dismiss that because I think that's one of the more difficult things is to you've got a big ship and it's you can't turn it around 
in 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 an hour or in a day or in a week. It just takes time to to navigate, you know, change direction for sure. Yep. You know, get back to the employees for a second. So when you brought in when you brought in the EOS consultant or Sharper afterwards, I know you had a lot of people that were referred into your organization. Did you have anybody after they went through the predictive index, they did their background and their personality profiles? Did you have any people that were in the wrong seats where you said, holy shit, this person shouldn't really be doing what they're doing? I don't think it was quite that strong, uh, meaning it was that definitive where it was like, oh, my gosh, this is not going to work out. But I will say, and I'm glad you brought it up, predictive index has been key. Uh, uh, and for those that don't know about that, they should they should research it if they're looking to build a team or have a team. It, 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 it's never too late to understand your people a little better. Yeah. Um, but the behavioral assessment, I think, uh, and I'm a, I'm not a, technically a PI master now, but I've done a pretty good deep dive on, well, honestly, I've done it on my wife and I, there's a one-to-one -one relationship guide that you can do in there. And it's like, holy crap, how does this 12 minute assessment know my wife and I that well? So when you do that between managers and, and their direct reports, you can figure out where they might butt heads. But I don't think we ever had to move anybody out of a seat necessarily. But as the positions evolved, let's say, I, it's it's interesting because now the, the the rest of the leadership team, they don't really need me. They'll go back to the PI and say, I realize why this person doesn't like doing those things. I yeah. realize why this person doesn't like to jump on the phone and call. They're very black and white. They don't like to, um, they view everything as conflict, right? Where I have other people that are like, I would love to call, right? So I think it's just understanding people's personalities and we try not to, um, ask ourselves a question anymore. Like, why don't they like doing that? Why is it such an issue? Refer I, right uh, to the we just refer back to the PIs. And so yeah. I, I don't even look so much as the, what the profile, you know, the 17 profiles that we could be. I'm a maverick. I have a very high A and low D. I really like to drive and I, I don't need to be super precise, but yeah. I'm very social, right? That's just my personality. So I know who I am. And then once you do it long enough and have enough people, uh, we're pretty spread out for a sales and marketing business we're pretty spread out over the entire target, if you will, where it's not all Mavericks because that it'd be a lot of this, Yeah, you know, and uh, I think we've done a good job of, of avoiding some of that because uh, I, don't, I don't want that. We can't be as, you know, Medley would say, you know, bulls in the pen. Somebody's about to get poked. Um, <laughs> it's true, right? It's true. You get a bunch of you's and me's and making a lot of decisions. We'll probably get along really well, but there's going to be a lot of, yeah. you know, in a moment's time. Um, and that's not always healthy when you're trying to, uh, trying to do the day-to-day -day. when we had uh when we had the predictive run through the organization because we use it obviously in our current team anybody new that comes in we had a full assessment on our current team and just about every single person was in the right seat with the exception of one and i got to tell you it was tough because we knew she was an asset for the company but we also knew she was in the wrong seat inside the company and yeah. when gary when he had his meeting with the staff with the team you know, he put the PIs on the board and he went through one or two or three and then he came to the fourth one and he just looked at it. I'm not going to mention names. And he's like, this, are you overwhelmed and completely stressed out? Bro, broke down, tears, crying. It just pinpointed that she was in such a stress mode because she was able to fit in to do the role when she converted her personality. She was going across the line. But when you do that for a prolonged period of time, it causes a ton of stress. Yeah, you. when you modify, when you modify, I think we all can do it. If you're, oh. if you're, especially if you care about the organization, you'll do it because you feel it's the right thing to do, and you're, and you're, 
you're committed to your organization, right? And you want that, but then what does it create? It creates the same thing you would create in you and me. Maybe it, the length of time we could last might be different, but you burn out eventually. We all do. I'm actually going through that myself in the company right now because I don't have a COO and I'm fulfilling that role. And like yeah. you, I'm a maverick, maverick and I'm stretched out across the board. I don't have the business, the mindset to go into that COO role long-term. And I've been in that role for a long, long oh my gosh. time. And Gary's looking at me and he's like, bro, you're ready to just snap out. Like you're handling what you're doing, but your PI is telling me that you can't stand exactly what you're doing. I'm like you hit it on the head. He goes, we got to get you quick. We got to get a second in command. So we found somebody in the organization who I knew the whole time. He's been with me for eight years. I just got to get him up to speed to start running this thing because you know, like I can't, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a detail guy. I don't want to be bothered with meetings on a day-to-day -day basis on managing the managers. Like it's not my thing. I'm no. good at growth. I'm good yep. at vision. I'm good at leadership, inspiration, making big relationships, happen, growing your office, big relationships, growing, but the day-to-day -day operating, Jeff, holy, sh it was really, it, it was, kind of cool to see when he brought that up on what is going on because internally I've been feeling conflict for like a year and I'm like, what is it? What is going on here? It's because I'm not in the right seat, you know, and yep. it's probably going to be another year until I get to the right seat. <laughs> it's going to be at well, least an eight, eight without to those tools, right? Without those tools. I mean, not, to, not to say you wouldn't have identified a potential burnout or conflict, just the rub that you're like, why am I doing this? But yeah. PI does help you pull that out. And then, yeah, I'm in agreement. Yeah. Kevin, uh, my business partner, Kevin Hansen, uh, you know, our offices are side by side and we've got a pocket door in between. And uh, it's funny because when I start, I stand up most of the day because I'm, I'm pretty energetic and I like to just move and shake and it drives me nuts to sit in front of the computers. As much as I love it, I need to have my window of time where I need to get out and he'll just be like, you're like doing the pacing thing and heavy breathing. Do you need like a walk? I'm like, man, I just can't do the whole office thing all day long. I like need to get out and just, do something. We've got a basketball court in the office. Thank God we can go out and shoot hoops and, and burn some energy off. But yeah, I, I think that's part of it is knowing who you are. And then um, even as an owner, right? Even as the owner of the organization, we're not all Mavericks. Not every owner of an organization is a Maverick. Some yeah. are just visionaries, but they don't really have the, the Maverick or Captain type profile where you're super high A. And, you know, so I think it's just... I guess I hate to be an infomercial for predictive index. I should have a affiliate link, but uh, I think it's a tool or a tool like that is something that is imperative if you want to grow an organization and really understand your people and not have to always ask the question, why don't they get it? Why don't they understand it? Why don't they like to do it? Why are they complaining about it? I think that it, uh, I think it's a worthwhile uh, spend. It's, a, it's an investment, but uh, it is definitely an investment. It's not cheap. Firing and rehiring and training new is is like 20x the investment. 100%. I've gone through that as well. We That lady that I was speaking about, we found out she was in the wrong seat. She exited. She just she couldn't take it. She quit. Wanted to repurpose her, but she's like, can't do it. And she was a good employee, but it, she was definitely not in the right seat. But that role, transaction coordinator, was key to the, to the, to the company. Key. Yep. So when she yep. left, it took me, man, I mean, the employee turnover in that role, she was there for like with us for 10 years, long time. Oh, wow. Not in that role. She was in other roles. And then she ended up in that one because somebody else who was with me for 10 years moved to, to North Carolina. But I got to tell you, the employee over the overturn with employees, it, the cost factor, 
the labor, the time, the money, the resources that you have to put in when you lose a key employee. I went through this in transaction coordinating, and I also went through it on the on the um, the controller side, and it was it was a year of just chaos. Things get hairy and sideways. Even if you have an employees in the role and you need to get them to exit, and they're not in the right seat, they have if they've been with you for years, they have so much knowledge of how the business operates and works. And yep. even if you have everything documented, there's just still so many little things that go on. When you lose that business knowledge, that core that's been with you, even if they weren't working at the high at the, their highest level, a new person coming in who's who's a lot better of an employee, they're smarter, they might be faster, they're gonna yep. be lost. It's gonna take them so much time to pick this stuff up. And so employee turnover, the PI predictive index, and again, it's not a commercial for them, but it is a key tool to utilize when you're bringing in people. Hiring, we don't hire without it. If they don't meet the PI, I, I can't even, especially if they have a, a real low COG score, depending on the role, like I won't even take the interview. It's not worth it. Yep. Same. We're in agreement on that. I think yeah. it's a, a vital tool. And I think it's, if you're a company of three or four, maybe it's not necessary, but if you're a company of 10 plus, 20 plus, I, I, I just, and you're growing, um, and there's so many tools that come along with it. But yeah, I think, you, back to your question, you had asked about some of the challenges. I think people are always a challenge. And I, I think what I've learned in, in this many years of doing business, I don't I don't think I realized it until a couple of years ago. You know, you read all these books, you get all this training, EOS, uh, Rise, you can do, uh, you know, uh, uh, scaling up. There's all these different operating systems or philosophies on how to do business. I think it, it really does come down to, if I can boil it down to its two things that it, its most simplified way is it's, it's either a people issue or a process issue. That's it. Either we haven't done a, we haven't done a good enough job of explaining how to do things, or and or we have the wrong person doing it, or just the wrong people doing uh, on the team altogether. And sometimes that's the case; just hired the wrong person, which we've done. Um, I, I, we've had some good breakups uh, where it's like mutually like, hey, this isn't this isn't. That is the hard part because sometimes when you're growing, and you don't, we don't know what we don't know because we haven't been to where we're going once we're on the journey or on the path or, or we or we get to that next milestone we didn't realize that it was going to take that amount of work and the person's like i didn't really sign up for this i really love you guys but okay well that's that's good i hate for that you to be a part of that thing but i'm like that's that's kind of just the way it goes and unfortunately so yeah uh, we try to be very transparent about that because uh, we're not going to say that you know when you're growing and you haven't already been to where you right you're going it's it's kind of uncharted territory so do you want to come along with us it's a lot to learn. We're going to do it together. So get on board. Jeff, let's switch over to your sales department. Tell me some of the strategies, some of the tools, some of the tips that are really working well for you and your organization on the sales side to connect and to convert, to get the sellers to know, like, and trust, and then convert those over into, into uh, contracts. That's good. That's a good question. I think one thing that we've done pretty well hmm. is – if I'm to go back a couple of years and take you just through this 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 new sales and marketing journey, if you will, of of, of being very intentional, and I mentioned before the call here that we're we spend upwards of six figures uh, in mid six figures of of marketing uh, advertising per month. So it generates a lot of uh, generates a lot of leads. It's a big overhead uh, expense, but we're we're putting our brand out there, and this is all branded advertising. So. I think while we're doing that, we've done a good job along the way of building our credibility up. So just like you've done for me and I've done for you, uh, you know, we help each other out on making sure we're leaving positive reviews. 
And I say that because a lot of people in our business, and, and I, I know you agree with this, is like they can't they can't say that they've been in business and done a thousand deals over X amount of years. You know, a lot of them have just started and that's okay. We all have to start, but I'm, I'm saying like we win a lot of business because if you go and look at our, let's say Google reviews, there's a rating and a review you get the five or the four or whatever, hopefully they're five. But if you look at ours, for instance, we give, you know, we're getting really good testimonials and they'll mention everyone's name and how, how we help them. And it's all really positive stuff. Well, once you build that up, you've got that credibility yeah. and naturally it becomes a little bit easier to do deals and to, to get business because people feel like you're a brand, you've been around, we've seen you. And so that, I think we've worked hard on making sure that has grown with our advertising, if that makes sense, as opposed yeah. to just marketing and marketing, marketing, we've done both. And, you know, hopefully the, the organic side of things, the, the referral type business. So the, Hey, I found you online and I was just searching around, but it wasn't paid traffic but they found us because of our credibility that helps the sales process. Um, we do training, John Martinez. We've done that training. I think our sales guys like that the best. Uh, we've done some stuff with Steve, with Steve Trang, mutual friend of ours. Uh, Steve's a great trainer. John's a great trainer. Jeremy Miner. We've done some of that and some of his training. So we've, we've tried to find that they don't really have to be industry experts. In my opinion, I think conversion and sales and, and negotiation is not really uh, dictated by the industry that you're in. I think it's more of a conversation and, uh, yes, you're right. How do you build that trust? So I think that actually starts before they ever engage with you. Meaning like, I think yeah. if, if they're a web lead and they find you on your website, they're doing their research and reading about you up front. So that's kind of where it begins on the customer journey. Yep. Two is when they engage with you and you actually interact with them. If it's a web form and you're responding to them, it's that first initial call. Uh, it's that first initial, hey, how are you doing? Uh, you know, so I think our lead managers, we've got three of them, uh, one female and two male. They do a really good job of listening. I think that's a good part of uh, selling and negotiating. Uh, it's a good part that I think we all miss oftentimes because we really want to tell them how good we are and what we can do for them. And I think the art of listening is something that's lost. I know sometimes I'm not the best at it, ask my wife. But I think, right, it's like listening to people and what they want um, and i think that takes time i think that takes time our sales manager aaron has, has done a really good job of, of, of teaching that and we're listening to calls and we're helping come back so i think it starts with lead management and that way when our acquisition managers or our house buyers that are in the field uh, that are going belly to belly with these folks that are meeting with them in their in their living room it's just an extension of what they've already heard yep right it's not a full different way well, i already i talked to, to megan and she said something way different I'm not saying we don't make mistakes and we don't slip up, but it's never intentional. It should be very smooth for the for the customer or for the seller in, in, in this regard. There um, feels like there's no handoff when it's from your lead manager to your acquisition. It's just yeah, a nice yep. consistent flow, conversation, tonality, the values and the business is already brought forward. That trust factor is already there. We get a lot exactly. of that too inside our organization. They're just they they say how much they respect and appreciate it from the marketing person who's answering the phone, the lead manager through to acquisitions, when Justin calls my sales manager, when my team goes out and does the inspections on the property, uh, either Ramon or David, everybody in the organization has that common thread of they're really good people, they really care, and they treat the people well when they go to the house, and they all see it. And they're almost, what's crazy, Jeff, is they're almost amazed by it. They're surprised by it, right? Do you get that? Like, 
I can't oh, believe yeah. how nice your organization is. I can't believe how everybody's respectful and they show up when they say they're going to show up and they, everybody seems I think, to really care. I, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think mm-hmm. it's because of the business that we're in. I think that people that are selling homes to us, that is probably going to be their biggest asset that they're, that they're selling or their biggest item in their life. Oftentimes it is. And I think that, uh, you know, the, either they were concerned about an agent working with them or concerned about an investor. Uh, we don't usually use the investor word. There's certain language. I think that's, that's a good part of what we train on as well. Um, we don't call it a contract. We call it a purchase agreement. And I know that's semantics between you and the audience, but uh, it's not when you're the homeowner. And so if they're the hero of the story, which they are, they're the ones we're in business for. And so we've got to win and, and earn their trust and they're not all referrals, right? It's coming to us cold, basically. And they want us to prove to them that we're good and true. Uh, yeah. They can read all the Google reviews, but they're like, now prove it to me. And they, not be, they might be saying that out loud, but really they're they- like, yeah, they're going to be thinking about it. So you're right. Mm-hmm. I think that we work really well on the, uh, really hard on the handoff mm-hmm. from lead manager phone call to appointment setup. That way, when they get there, whether that's tomorrow, hopefully, or in mm-hmm. two weeks, which is hopefully worst case scenario, mm-hmm. that that really feels good to them that they their some of the questions were answered and, and at least we cared and listened to them. And let's be honest, not as much as in our business, we want to have a formula for everything. Uh, these, uh, these lead calls, uh, as much as we'd love for them to be seven minutes or less, some of them are 29 minutes because, uh, aunt Susie wants to talk to someone that's not only an expert, but again, that's going to listen to them and uh, yep. answer their questions. And it ends up, Oftentimes, the best calls, maybe you'd agree, the best calls have little to do with the house. It's everything about that next move or the situation they're in. Or it's like, yeah, it's a three-bedroom, two-bath, and it's 1,500 square feet, and we bought it in 1949, and et cetera, et cetera. But the next 22 minutes are about, now we're painting this picture. Yeah, that we're painting this picture for what what it looked like and feel like if we were to get this deal done. If we, you know, where do you want to go next? Because you're looking to, to, to transition. So yeah, your future facing um, in the conversation and you're having them see what the hell is going to go on. And when they see it and they can understand it, they're already making that decision. You know, when I was in the field, Jeff, I went years ago when I was buying properties, the, the best deals I've gotten were the ones where I was, I took the calls, I went into the house, I would literally plant myself there in some cases, an hour and a half, two hours. And people would be like, that's insane. I would never spend that much time at a, at a property. But I was buying deep, deep discounted properties. And it wasn't because I was better than anybody else. The fact of the matter is I was buying these properties because, A, all I did was listen. I asked questions and then I shut up and I listened and I would let them talk. I had properties that we would purchase Jeff back in the day where I wouldn't even talk about the property for the first hour and a half. It was the last 15, 20 minutes where they know, like, and trust. And like, you know what? You know what? What what's it gonna? What number do you think you'd be comfortable selling this property to me for? Well, they would say to me, you know, this is the number I'd like. Could you could you come close? And it's literally like seventy five or hundred thousand dollars less than what I was thinking I was gonna buy it for. And deals like that, not all the time, but deals like that happen. I think when you're trained up the right way, when you have an organization that cares, and when you do exactly what you say, when you listen, when you listen to people and you just give them that. Now look, certain guys like me, I'm a maverick type A. I don't I don't want a two hour presentation in my house. Like, give me the numbers, give me the bottom line. Yes, I'm the same way. You really yeah. need to understand the personality profile that, you, that you're that you speaking with and kind of modify yourself to kind of connect with them. 
Um, so I don't want people to listen on the call and think like every call you're going for two hours or half hour. It really depends on the personality style that you're dealing it with. It does. And I, I, think, I think you asked about kind of the sales process, but mm-hmm. I, I believe uh, that in this business and, and probably any marketing and sales business, uh, but ours specifically, we're, at this, uh, we're, we're buying folks' homes. Uh, I think the salesperson or in our business or in our industry, uh, I'm sorry, in our, our business, we're calling them acquisition managers. I think the intuition um, is one of the most meaningful traits, I guess you'd say. Uh, so when someone understands what you just said, that some people want to be told the information uh, in 12 minutes and give me your number and leave me your contract and it's cut and dry. That's me too. Uh, I, I may go, I may go one step further because I do not that you don't care, but I do care about kind of hearing a little more. And then some people need to be sat down and they want to have tea and scones for two hours. Yeah. And it's, and, and, and if you, if your process says, I'm, you know, this says I only have 30 minutes to meet with, uh, Nancy, I got to be out here in 29 minutes. And all you're thinking about is the clock and the next appointment that I think we're missing the boat. And so back to the sales process, we, I think we've done a pretty good job of understanding that and uh, giving our, our, our team enough time so that they're not rushed. And there's a sweet spot there, right? One appointment a day for them is not enough. Yeah. Four appointments is probably too much for your average person, yeah. uh, especially in Chicago or New York and New Jersey where you're, you know, half the time is wind, in, in the windshield, you know, sitting in the traffic or driving. So, so they go ahead and, and go to the house, right? And using that intuition, uh, following our sales process. And there's a little bit of uh, uh, some leeway there. Uh, they, they earn that, right? That, not day one, but they earn that, that right. Uh, to have that a little bit autonomy. And then once they get a purchase agreement signed, that goes right to our, basically our front office here. And Janelle on our team has that uh, promoter profile. She absolutely loves, actually they call from the house or from the car and say, hey, I just was at Nancy's house, one, two, three, you know, Theodore Street. Uh, She signed the purchase agreement, should be coming over. Well, Janelle will automatically call Nancy and walk her through the next steps uh, to closing. So then it's out of the salesperson's hands in Janelle's hands and she's the seller point of contact. That's, that's her entire role. And that, that right there has been, she loves it because she loves to solve problems and help people. And she's this caring, nurturing mother hen, you know, and then honestly it frees up our salespeople to go back to the, I guess the front of the line or the next appointment and do the same. Your Nancy is taking it. Soon as they get the contract signed, she's the point of contact from that point forward. She is, and she's working with our Michelle, our, our transactions manager, uh, senior transactions manager. Been around, she's been with us 10 years. Uh, and then they're working in tandem, and they've got certain parts in the process that they both handle, co-handle uh, with our attorney and the seller's attorney. So, right, you've got a buyer's attorney, us, our attorney, and then you've got a seller's attorney, and then you got title, uh, and then you got a, you know, so they're, they're ha- handling all of that along the way to get that, hey, Nancy, we'll see you at the finish line. We're gonna, any questions you have, I'm your point of contact. I love that. I absolutely, absolutely freaking love that. Um, let's let's uh, real quick. You mentioned about your testimonial process. Do you have an actual process for that after you're closed up? Like, what is your process to get them to give you testimonials? Because we have one. Just yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's a rock of ours. Um, so it's it's one of those uh, quarterly commitments that we have um, for actually for Janelle, um, since she is the seller point of contact. Uh, so it goes like this. And this, if Janelle was here, she'd probably be like that section of the process. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll say it how I think it goes. We, we end up selling the house, or I'm sorry, purchasing the house from, from seller Nancy in this situation. Uh, immediately, Janelle will call after closing and, and, and say something like this. Hey, 
uh, you know, just been a joy working with you, Nancy, and you should have your funds here from the title company within the next few hours, assuming it's during the business day. And, uh, you know, we hopefully we've answered any questions that you might have, and we'd love to earn the right to, to a five-star review if you'd, if you'd uh, give it to us. It means a lot to our business as we continue to grow and work with more folks just like you. And oftentimes like, oh yeah, no, that, that's, that's great. Cause I want, I want more people like me to find you. And, uh, that's in a perfect world. That's how it goes. And then 15 minutes later, you get your five star and we're always trying to get it. Google, Facebook, better business, Yelp, even though I think Yelp's extortion, I, but those are the, are the channels with Google being number one, in my opinion. And we ask for a rating and for, I, I told you already the review. Yeah. And, uh, the cool part is from my standpoint as the, the owner. CEO, innovator of the business, all those reviews used to mention my name, even though it's Jeff buys your house and Kindle partners. Uh, they don't mention my name anymore. Uh, a couple things that I'm proud of for that one, I'm not really involved in the process and you don't talk to me because we built a team around it. Right. Uh, and two, um, they get to mention all the people that have been involved in the transaction from lead management. Uh, Janelle's usually mentioned because she's spending the most amount of time with the seller. Of course, the acquisitions manager, but, uh, it's a proud moment for me because, uh, they go ahead and mention the team and CJ in the field. I mean, these guys are amazing people that really care. And, uh, I honestly, out of those reviews, find out more about our team, uh, and the humility core value, um, yeah. that we have because of things like last yeah. night, CJ, who's 22 years old is out at seven 30 at night meeting with a seller because they were supposed to do a final walkthrough to buy the house at four which is during the normal working hours, the guy couldn't. And so CJ came back at 7.30. He's moving the guy's stuff out into the, into the garage. He's helping him. And, and that, he goes above and beyond and that yeah. type of thing. Well, CJ is mentioned in these reviews all the time because it's like this young man, CJ, shows up and is just the most polite gentleman ever. And so he's kind of the icing on the cake. He's one yeah. of these 22-year-old kids that, that never respond to you without saying sir or ma'am. And that's pretty rare if you didn't know anymore. So yeah, well, um, that is definitely rare. Yeah. So we get that. And then, uh, that's, so that's, that's the review process. Now my old review process, and this is a secret, I guess that uh, I've told a lot of guys from uh, CG and multipliers, I was personally asking for those reviews via a loom video, um, to each of the sellers. Those are something that you can pre-record and just look at your closings that are coming up and record those. You don't need to time stamp those and, and mention the time in the video or the date in the video because those closing dates they move right but you can say hey nancy uh appreciate the i'm jeff uh, owner of kindle partners and jeffbuysyourhouse.com hey I, I just want to take a second and say how much we're appreciative of you choosing us to uh, purchase your home and uh you know hopefully you have answered our questions if you'd leave us a five-star review and i'll include the link that has gone a long ways because then they get to see me yeah. Right. And uh, hear from me. And, and it is genuine because we, we I, I'm genuinely asking for them to, to leave some credibility. That's only backfired one time. Uh, I sent that review about two days too early. And I mentioned, hopefully by now you have your money, et cetera, et cetera. And closing <laughs> was kicked back. And the guy was kind of upset out of our own control. Attorney and title kicked it back. Right. They pushed yeah. closing out. But who's who's always to blame? The buyer. Yeah. Right. Because we're, we're the company. And he said, absolutely not. And he left us a a three or a four star review, which I'm okay with that. I think we have 230 uh, reviews uh, averaging 4.9 stars. I can afford a couple negative, negative reviews, but whatever. So I messed up on that one, but he still said, Hey, you bought my house, got us our money. You just asked for my review, my review uh, two hours or two days prior. 
Yeah. So, okay. So did you, uh, when you yeah. set that up, was it in an automated sequence? You just send it out from your cell phone? Like, what was your mechanism for setting that out? I, well, I did it both ways. I would record a few at a time just on my Mac and just it's a one minute recording. Uh, I'd send the link to Janelle um, and then she would send it out at the time off, right? So she'd say, here's a recording from our, uh, the owner of the company, you know, you know, basically saying, you know, asking for the review yep. that, that, that we're only using now as a, um, I guess a, a step two or three. And I, I'm perfectly happily doing it, uh, uh, ha- happy doing it um, just cause I want to continue to see that credibility go. And uh, a little bit of uh, pride that I want to get to a 300 reviews. Cause I, I don't know many companies in our industry that are even close to that. And I want to, I want to get there. Hardly any. I mean, kudos to you for having 200 plus, man. That's, that's amazing. I think we have like 60 something. And it's, it's, yeah, I think it's, I think it's huge. And I think that, you know, I think there's a, there's some type of correlation and I don't know what the, it's not a one-to-one, but I do believe that based on the reading that I've done with how Google uh, does their algorithm, I believe that the more you're not just your ratings and reviews, but I mean, like we write our responses to those reviews, SEO yeah. friendly using, using AI. Um, so we'll give it the inputs st- saying, thank you, Nancy, and, and maybe some specifics. We always try and mention the seller's name. We always try and mention their city, not their address, because I don't want to, that's private. Uh, so we'll say, you know, Nancy, appreciate, you know, the opportunity to, to serve you and to buy your home in West Chicago, Illinois, you know, type of thing. And I think this goes back into the funnel and feeds the machine as we're pumping in thirty or $40,000 into PPC and a lot of money into SEO, right? So I think the whole thing continues to work together. That's, that's amazing. That's a good tip right there. That whole little piece with uh, the keyword SEO friendly and you're having AI do that. Yeah. We use chat GPT and put the, you know, you're just feeding inputs into the, into the system. Right. And then it's, in, in, you know, side note on AI, if you didn't know, uh, don't copy and paste everything that it says, cause it's, it's not a human. If you didn't know, there's not a human behind there. It's actually machine learning. So I, we only know that cause I'm like, that sounds idiotic, yeah. but yes, you give it, the, you give it the inputs. And then uh, ask it to make it casual, make it professional, whatever you want. We ask for two or three. I say we, I have nothing to do with it. Uh, Glenn, my operations manager, handles it with Janelle. But uh, then if you get on there and look at our reviews, which you can include a link to it, and people can check it out uh, and read them, they're, they're crafted. Let's say 80% or 90% are crafted with AI. And then we put the final touch to make it personal. You know, Perfect. we don't want to sound... Nobody. But it, it, you know, it, 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 it puts, um, it puts some good stuff behind it. And then, like I said, we ask it to write it SEO friendly. Good, good nuggets, bro. Let's get into real quick. Cause I, I know we're coming up to the 47 minute mark and I want to be conscious yeah. of your time on your marketing end. You know, you, you're crushing it with TV. You're crushing with pay-per-click a lot of pull-ins. Are you doing any outbound? You doing direct mail? You doing any type of text? The only mail? outbound, yes. The only outbound we are currently doing is direct mail. I've been a proponent of direct mail since we started direct mail in two thousand and nine, two thousand eight. Uh, that goes back to the short sale days. Most of the people weren't in the game then. Yeah. Um, but when those things short sales came out, and I was like, "What's that?" No one knew, uh, and so we started mailing to notice a default. Uh, probably similar to you. And going after the Liz Pendus and 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 people that were uh, 30 days, 60, 90 lights. Uh, so that was our first taste of of direct mail, and that was I thought scale back then was sending 30 letters a month, uh, <laughs> mostly because we were doing it by hand and personal, you know, trying to personalize yeah. it. I felt like man, my hand's gonna fall off, right? And then things evolve, and you hire Yellow Letter HQ or some of the other companies out there to 
to do it uh, more professionally and, and uh, you know, expedite it. Yes, in bulk. Um, and now we, you know, we use uh, a lot of different uh, uh, data aggregators um, from Audantic and maybe even 8020. And, and uh, there's lots of different uh, services out there that will, that will pull information. But we dump that all on the top of the funnel and have a couple million records on, on deck, if you will. And I would say right now we're mailing in between 70,000 and 90,000 pieces per month. So direct mail has always been a foundational piece. Yeah, and I remember telling I remember telling Kevin, my business partner, I said, some of these other lead channels are up and down, but direct mail. If you're if you're in it to win it, using that long range goal of thinking things have to don't need to work today, but I need to produce six months from now and and forever, then keep the marketing the mail marketing going because we it's are okay. still doing we are still doing deals right now, getting contracts today from the what we're calling the COVID postcard that we sent out, green little postcard that we sent out in 2020 and they may have gotten seven, seven or eight pieces from us after that, but they chose the green card that you're hoping they put on their refrigerator and, yep. and, and save for when they're ready. That's the good part about direct mail is that uh, they might just hold on to it. The, the older generation tends to keep stuff mm-hmm. and they keep it in their tight little pile next to their wallet on their countertop. Yep. Right. And then when they're ready, they'll pull it out and call that number. And you want them calling you before they go to the internet. Not everybody goes to the internet to look, right? They want to. They Especially want to. the older folks. The older ones, they yes. don't. They don't. They don't really do the research online. It's really, you know, pen and pad. They get those letters in the mail, and they may check check on on uh, on um, the Better Business Bureau, but <laughs> that's basically it. You know, it is. The, the, it. the amount of leads you're getting monthly, Jeff. Break it down, because off off camera we were speaking about that just for the audience. Yep. How many leads a month, gross net, gross leads, are you guys generating from all the marketing that you do? Uh, the gross responses, I haven't looked for maybe the last 90 days. The number used to be like this. To the amount of net leads that you get, and I, and I, I will say the net leads, we use the term uh, qualified lead. Yeah, so I think that the industry in general has, has misinformation on what that actually means. But we determine a qualified lead purely as a house or I'm sorry, a, 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 a seller that wants to sell. And I don't go seven layers deep or four types of motivation or four, right. I, I don't, four pillar. I, I know there's lots of different methodologies. I think that's very, I, I don't think in this market necessarily, I want to talk to somebody that wants to sell their home, period. Yep. I, I don't care about the price or the condition or their motivation necessarily or their time frame. And those are the other three or four things that people like to hone in on. Personally, if you want to sell, then you're a qualified lead. Doesn't mean you're a good lead, just means you're qualified above qualified is everything else and so with direct mail because it's outbound like you just mentioned doesn't mean that everybody that you send your letter to eight or ninety thousand a month that they all want to sell or need to sell etc you're hoping that is good but it's more of a shotgun approach when you're at that level of, sure. of volume so you're going to get a lot of uh fu's which we call them right so um, yes i got this letter 50 times right we probably get a dozen or so a week, I would guess, probably probably, probably five times that, I don't know, of uh, people that take our postcard, rip it into shreds, yeah. cr- half burn it, put it in the envelope. And uh, send it back. Red tape all of it, send it back yeah. to you and say, yeah, if you right. ever, and you know, it's like death threats, right? But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But they're going to be, mail, they're looking me up on Facebook and Instagram, they're IMing me and telling me, send me another piece of mail, I'm gonna bust your face off it. <laughs> Uh, I've had, I've had, uh, I've had letters from, uh, marketing, um, people in Washington, DC 
for human rights, marketing people. I, I'm just like, it, here's the good part about direct mail. It does drive an emotional response. Uh, and, and our message is not um, threatening. Uh, it doesn't say that you're in foreclosure. We don't, we don't, even if you are, we wouldn't say it. Uh, it doesn't say that we're going to, we're, you know, those, we don't, we're not saying we're going to foreclose in your house in 30 days. I, it's really a pretty clean and clear message. Hey, I'm Jeff. I've been buying houses a long time. I'm, I'm a veteran, uh, local to the area. We'd love to, if you're looking to sell, I'd love to, I'd love to chat with you. Something like casual like that. But so because of that, we get quite a few leads that are unqualified, which the reason that's important is because when you run a business the size of yours or mine, it still takes a human to sift through all of those unqualified yeah. to get down to the, the ones you can work with. So if we're, if we're running about 250 or 275 qualified leads per month, we're probably more 300 to 350 unqualified, if not more, even 400 sometimes if the, if the mail is, is, is really hopping. And honestly, because we have a reputation and we have a, 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 a brand as you do, you still have to call, you still have to talk with that person. Usually they're live because they're direct mail, they're calling. You still need to treat them with compassion and humility and love, right? And just, yeah. even though they want to rip your face off, we just kill them with kindness and just kind of have fun with it a little bit, right? And just say, hey, you're right, we're gonna, and we and we do try and respect the take you off your list. We, we do have a process for that, but but that's how we generate leads. And, and you know, PPC, uh, we've been doing pay-per-click for years, uh, Bing and Google, direct mail, of all different varieties from a mail piece to a check letter to a, we probably send out the majority of our postcards, uh, branded and unbranded. That's the only unbranded marketing we do. And then, uh, yeah, like you said, TV, and then all the lead aggregators that you're, you're familiar with between yeah. some of the bigger brands that you can buy leads. So you're qualified are some of, a month. How many are you bringing in? Qualified, you said? Yeah, the qualified leads. About two, 275 is where we need to be right now. 275 and you have three or four acquisition four four yeah so how many appointments is each guy going on roughly a week uh they need to be right in that 10 to 12 range 12 would be the ideal number that's yeah. good that's good and how's the conversion yeah, uh well uh i will tell you right now if you're if you're looking at top of funnel and a lot of people are using a ratio of like how many leads to a deal uh last quarter we were just uh over nine so not about nine, nine and a half leads to a deal. And we're shooting for just under uh, eight and a half, which doesn't sound like much, but it is over 275 leads. Hell yeah, uh, so so we're, we're probably right in that 22 to 24% conversion ratio uh, lead to lead to appointment offer to offer to deal. Uh, so, you know, every 10, every 10 calls, every 10 qualified leads technically should be a, a contract. And how's your pull-through ratio from contract to close? You guys have a, a decent pull-through? Yeah, we are working through that now. And I say that because when you're only buying six and eight houses a, a month only, and, and you know we're closer to 20 and 25 now, and doing 30 and 40 transactions a month, I, I believe the fallout is going to be right in that 20%. Yeah, that's, um, where that's, that's about where we're at right now. I've seen months at 25. Buyers are flaky. I'm sorry, sellers are flaky. And uh, uh, we're getting, it just seems like more and more now uh, sellers canceling. Um, but that's, that's not really because they don't like us or like our process. They just, they signed too quick or maybe they're the heir to the estate and they actually didn't have the authority. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's, there's ways to get better at that. But I, I would, I think we're going to be right in that 20% fallout. So 10 contracts, we're going to buy eight houses. Yeah. 
That's awesome, dude. That's that's where our numbers are. We're not quite as high on the conversion up front. We're only at like about 19.5%. Tough market in New York, man. Tough, tough market. The competition, and I think it's everywhere. I mean, competition's the competition. It's just, it is crazy the amount of people that go out to these houses to buy. Like, we're competing yeah. with seven, eight, ten people at a time. It's crazy. Yeah, well, we, we really haven't had the the iBuyers come in, so to speak, uh, that is one advantage and disadvantage, meaning like a lot of people have, a lot of companies have come to the the Chicago market and really try to dominate because look, I mean, it's, it's the third largest city in the country last time I checked. So there's about a 9 million person Metro that we, that we're only, our company currently is only buying a couple hundred houses a year out of. So the market is so segmented, much like Jersey and New York, where you've got a lot of operators that are probably picking off 20, 30, 40, 50 deals a year yeah. and not a lot that are doing 150, 200. Correct. Um, you, you know what I mean? So, so where do the iBuyers come in? They really have struggled uh, just because the nature of like New York or New Jersey or Illinois type real estate, uh, blue state real estate, it's, it's tough and it's attorney and it's, and it's time intensive. And that's, that's not Phoenix market. That's not where you can get a contract today and close in three days. That's, that's, yeah. that doesn't happen here. Not even close. Not even close with us too. Our cash no. the cycles are through the roof. Yep. Through yep. the roof. So, yeah. And, and one thing I wanted to mention, so, and, and, you know, for the listeners that are out there and that are building this funnel, uh, so to speak, as to how many, you know, qualified leads down to a deal, uh, we measure it all the way through. Uh, we measure it monthly. We look at it every day or every week rather. Um, but we, we measure it monthly, quarterly, and we also measure it per marketing. We call it marketing medium, but marketing channel lead source, uh, because, you know, you can look at the entire business in the funnel, the sales funnel, but we actually look at it through every single way yeah. we, we market because we're spending so much money yeah. and then we can, then we can determine, um, cause they're not all created equal. Direct mail is much slower, but it's much more predictable. And so the, the, what we call lead to profit from the time the lead comes in to the time we make money is the longest in direct mail, but it's also the most consistent and the profit per deal is, is one of the higher ones there. So, um, I would encourage that people are looking at, you know, look at it in total, but then break it down and, uh, see where if, 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 is, is your ROI really there. Yeah. You have to, you have to break it down by each type of marketing segment that you're doing. And, not just the segment, the list, but each marketing piece, like every one of our pieces has its own, I guess, tracking number that we have on it. And so we'll know if a piece is a bomb or if a piece is actually making us money. And if you're not looking at this consistently, as Jeff was saying, you could be pissing money out, out the window, man. You could just be losing money and not even realizing it. If you're, what is your number? You're like, if we're not getting a three to one return or four to one return, what's your number? To where you like, you know what? I'm going to cut back. On Do you have anything? I, like pre that? I pre yeah, I presented on this at at, at Collective Genius uh, two years ago, and I may I remember putting a slide up there saying I'm only looking for an 8x return, and I remember <laughs> having eight eight dollar bills up there, you know, one dollar times, and then eight more dollars. So yeah. people were like, "You're out of your mind." And I thought, and then I, I went to the next slides to show them that we were getting seven and eight x return. This was 2020. And we were getting an 8x return. Direct mail was was about an 8x return. As you add more dollars behind that, uh, the the return does dilute. Uh, it's just natural, right? You're not going to get an 8x return. So I think to answer your question, 
TV is much lower, but I would say overall, we're going to be in that four and a half X, you know, marketing. So, you know, that gives you an idea We're you know, we're spending a million, million five, we're in that five to $7 million gross profit range. Um, I can, that's predictable. The good part about that is if you knew your numbers, if you like, we know our numbers pretty good. Uh, we know which levers to pull on the marketing side. If we want to, like, we just up the budget last week for this month. Uh, in the middle of the month, we ha- we upped it another twenty five thousand dollars for the month, purely because the leads weren't coming in. I, I t- already told you that the engine's built. If you can't afford to put gasoline in the engine, meaning the team is already there. Yeah. If our team's wandering around aimlessly at three appointments a week or five appointments a week, it's not going to get it done. So, we can afford a higher cost per lead because I know, like I said every 10 leads, uh, it has been a deal. So if it ends up being an extra $2,000 per deal, then so be it. But I can't let the well dry uh, all because we're not wanting to, to keep it running. So, Jeff, this was uh, this was a great conversation with you, bro. You brought a lot of really good nuggets to to the listeners out there. I appreciate you. Yeah, man. It's been awesome. I know we could we could do this for like three hours. I know we could. I know it's been over an hour and I, I, yeah. I literally have like a million different questions to ask you just wrap back and forth. It's, it's really cool, you know, like chatting and brainstorming and just doing a brain up with people. Um, it is. Jeff, we need to do it. We need to do it outside the podcast. You and I need to do it again. So yeah, we do. we do for sure. If people want to find you, how do they, how do they locate you? How do they connect with you? Yeah. Uh, so the two places we've got the main website, Kendall partners, LTD. Uh, you can search that on the internet on the, uh, on the Google and uh, or jeffbuysyourhouse.com. You'll find my my face on there. And then you can always email me, jeff at kendallpartnersltd.com. Uh, but there's, I think there's only one out there that's in real estate, Jeff Nadiger. So Google it. It'll come up. I'm on Facebook. I'm not super active, although the marketing people tell me I need to be. So I, I should probably put some energy behind that to make sure I can. People, people don't know that I'm alive. So I guess I have to post some stuff. So I'm going to get better at that. So funny. Jeff, good seeing you again, brother. And thanks Likewise. For- Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Unstoppable Real Estate Investing Wealth. My mission is to give you, my listeners, the blueprint for success, the insider secrets for starting, growing, and scaling your real estate investing business so you can experience and live the unstoppable lifestyle. I've made it simple for you. To catapult yourself to success, Go to billyssecrets.com. That's B-I-L-L-Y-S secrets.com. There you will find every single tool, tip, trick, strategy, system, and secret used to make millions of dollars as a real estate investor. Everything my team uses and my guests use all in one place for you to tap into so you can start, grow, and scale your real estate investing business. I really hope you implement what you're learning. I hope you utilize these tools, tips, tricks, strategies, and secrets, and I hope to see you on the next episode. God bless. Bye-bye.